Well, good morning, family. We've worshipped in song, and we've worshipped sharing with missionaries. Now let's worship in the Word, shall we? I have such gratitude towards our worship team, uh, to, towards Pastor Zach for his flexibility. Uh, I want to personally extend my thanks to Trey. I asked Trey to handle not only the text that he was assigned last week, but also the chapter that was supposed to be for today. Uh, so I could finish up chapter 9 as I had promised a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, Trey drew the tough end of the draw on this book of Daniel. And did he not do an excellent job last week of handling that text? Yes. Trey, thank you for that. Uh, our pastor will be back next week. I've heard from him. Uh, I don't bother him often. But I've heard that he, is, he and Amy have had an amazing time of refreshing uh, just renewal, and I pray fresh wind and fresh fire, and he will be back next week to wrap up this series in the book of Daniel chapter 12. But meanwhile, let's finish chapter 9, shall we? And where we see in this, these verses 20 through 27, that will be where we are today of, of the book of Daniel. If you recall, Daniel is now in his 80s, and those of you that have been with us through these last weeks, you should be very familiar with this man now. And now he's in his 80s. He's been a captive for 65 to 70 years. And if you'll recall, a couple of weeks ago, he's found this scroll of Jeremiah, and he's reading that the prophetic word that the 70 years of their captivity is almost over. But instead of having a party... In a celebration, he, he goes into penitence. He covers himself with ashes and clothes himself with sackcloth and prays this penitent confessional prayer before the Lord. And he says that all of these things he asked the Lord, Daniel, asked the Lord, would you do them for the sake of of your name. And so that brings us to this text today, chapter 9, verse 20. And, and in honor of reading God's word, and if you're able, I invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read from verses 20 through 23. Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God while I was speaking in prayer. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Remember that. And he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we see Daniel 
in this penitent prayer before the Lord, confessing his sin and the sin of his people. And God sends no less an angelic personage than Gabriel. If we remember about Gabriel, it'll be a few hundred years later, he appears to a little virgin girl and tells her that she will bear the Messiah. And Gabriel stands in the presence of God. And Daniel says that Gabriel came to him, and I pointed this out, at the time of the evening sacrifice. You know, we've covered these chapters, and you're familiar with this man. The temple now has been destroyed 50 years. Daniel's been in exile for 65 to 70 years, but yet he still orders his life. He keeps time by the patterns of worship in the temple. Instead of saying three in the afternoon, he says it was about the time of the evening sacrifice. This tells us so much about him. His steadfast character. His unwavering purpose. All those years of exile, he yearned to be home on the holy hill. His soul thirsted for Jerusalem. There was a psalm that was written during the exile, and I'm sure maybe Daniel had heard it sung. It goes something like this, by the rivers of Babylon, speaking of the people of Israel, we sat and wept for Zion by the moping willows. We sadly hung there our harps. Our captor said, come sing a song of joy. And they replied, how can I sing a song of joy when joy is gone? If I forget Jerusalem by my right hand, it's cunning loose. Daniel thirsted for home. He thirsted for Jerusalem. And when it's three in the afternoon, when Gabriel shows up, he remembered that it was the time for afternoon sacrifice. Because you see, Daniel is still telling time by the patterns of temple worship. Some of you may have patterns in your life from early on, from your childhood. Maybe from your Sunday school teacher. Maybe from your mom or your dad or grandparent. Maybe from spiritual disciplines that you've developed. They're still part of who you are. Much as the temple worship was still part of Daniel, even though it had been destroyed for 50 years. May I encourage you this morning? If you have those patterns, continue them. Continue to develop those type of patterns. They'll be anchors in your life just as they were to Daniel. And here's another indicator of what we've seen already about this man. Daniel was in Babylon, but he was never of Babylon. Has there ever been a time in the history of the American church where this should be more true of us? 
And by the way, we're not to condemn those around us, but we're not to be of that as well. Amen? We're called to be lights in dark places. But too often, unfortunately, we've been evangelized by the culture instead of us evangelizing the culture. We're in Babylon, beloved, but we're not to be of it. Does your heart ever long for another place? Do you long for a spiritual home that you maybe can't even place your finger Well, I want to remind us that we're not called to live as comfortable tourists. We're called to live as exiles, as strangers, as foreigners in a foreign land. And by the way, if that's how you feel this morning, you're in a good place. And so now let's come to the word, the word that Gabriel says that he delivered and he asked Daniel to consider and understand. Verse 24, 70 weeks, Gabriel said, are decreed about your people and your holy city. I want to pause there for a moment. This word translated weeks is a word that means sevens. In other words, 70 sevens. And it's very safe to say that this vision is about 70 sets of seven years or 490 years. And the vision is about your people, the Jewish people, and your city, Gabriel said, Jerusalem. But I want you to look at the purpose in verse 24, the last part of that verse. The purpose is to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Some translations would substitute person for the word place. And then look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore, some translations would say decree, from the going out of the decree or word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, this is the Messiah. This is the promised Christ. To the coming of the Christ, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. In other words, 49 years. And then for 62 weeks of years, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So this verse speaks about seven sets of years, 62 sets, so you have 69 Total, or in other words, 483 of the 490 years. And in this first 483 years of this vision, two things are going to happen. First of all, the temple will be rebuilt in the first 49 years after the decree. See, the temple is now in ruins in Jerusalem. It's been destroyed. And so the vision is that there'll be a 49-year time frame when this decree happens that the people will go back and they'll rebuild the temple. But then after 483 years from that decree, Gabriel says, the Messiah will come. What amazing chronology. 
Look at verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, in other words, the Messiah, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So in this verse, between after the 69 weeks, or in other words, the 483 years, there's the gap, there's a gap before the last seven years. And so what happens in this time frame, this 400, at the end of the 483 years, is the Messiah will be cut off. He'll have nothing and no one. He'll be forsaken. It's a reference to the rejection of Christ. It's a reference to His crucifixion. And Jerusalem will be destroyed by the people of a prince to come. And so, and then you have this gap, and then after that gap, verse 27, I want to read it next, talks clearly about this final week, this 70th week, this last seven years. Verse 27, it says, And he, the antecedent to that is the prince to come, some would call this person the Antichrist, rightfully so, this Antichrist shall make a strong covenant. And by the, language, by the way, the language here is coercive. It's a power move. This Antichrist shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So this timing of the 70th week, and this is a difficult proposition, this timing, this 70th week is divided into two segments of three and a half years. And two things we see from these verses are going to happen in this 70th week. There will be dishonesty and desolation from the prince who is to come. But God Himself, don't miss this church, God Himself, through Christ, through the brightness of the glory of His coming, God Himself will destroy that Antichrist. In the timing of these last seven years, Jesus speaks to in the Olivet Discourse. Do you remember when the disciples are walking with Jesus to the Mount of Olives and they go by the temple? And the temple was one of the wonders of the world. It was amazing. And, and the disciples loved to worship there. Jesus loved to worship there. And as they, as they looked at it, they, they described to Jesus, isn't this an amazing edifice, a building? And he tells them, maybe you remember this, I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. They, they get off to the side. They have their little holy huddle there. This, this shocking news to them. And they say, they come back to him with three questions. Well, when will this be? And what will be the end of the age and the sign of your coming? And he gives them that amazing answer in Matthew 24. And I believe he answers their questions, but it's still not totally clearly revealed. Why? 
Do you remember what Jesus tells them about his coming? Do you remember? No one knows but the Father. This is my joke for the day. Let me give you a warning up front, okay? So you can laugh at the appropriate time. I know my delivery methods are weak. It reminds me, I have two. They're grown men now. They're two sons. They're fathers, husbands. But when they were about 16 and 13, when they'd act out, I'd ask them, what is it about no that you guys don't get? Laugh. (laughs) Right? You ever wonder if Jesus thinks that about us when we're trying to figure all this stuff out? You ever wonder if he wonders what is it about no that we don't get? Look, arguably, this is the most well-known text in the entire book of Daniel. And it's an incredibly difficult text. And for example, the decrees that we see that are spoken of, there were several decrees from different Persian kings, from Darius, from Cyrus, from Artaxerxes, Longimanus. And so the question is, which one? Which decree was the starting point of these 483 years? And I want to reference a book that I have found to be very, very helpful. It's by Harold Honer. It's the chronological aspects of the life of Christ. This man is a professor at DTS. He spent a lifetime really working through this particular prophecy. I think the work is excellent. I think it's submitted with humility. And I would recommend if you have interest in these type of things, that you read this work. It's an academic work, so understand I'm from Oklahoma. It took me a while to work through it. But it's a good work. When I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading a commentary on the book of Daniel by a church father named Jerome. He lived in the 4th century A.D., And think about this. This man, 17, 1800 years ago, in his commentary on the book of Daniel, he listed nine possible interpretations of these verses I've read this morning and declared himself unable to decide which of them, if any, were correct. And here was his quote at the conclusion of his analysis. He said, because it's unsafe to pass judgment on the opinions of great teachers of the church and to set one above another, I shall simply repeat the view of each and leave it to the reader's judgment. What humility. May we approach this text, this amazing vision, with the same approach. Amen? But yet, Gabriel says to Daniel, I've given you this vision for understanding. So what can we, what conclusions can we draw? What things can we know for certain about what God is saying here? What's God's plan and purpose? What's clearly revealed for the 70 weeks? Well, we see it in verse 24, and here's the first one. He's making an end of sin. 
Well, I thought that would get an amen this morning. I know, are we daylight savings time? Are we awake? He's making an end of sin. The language is so clear here. It's saying sin is no longer. Now, your mind may be thinking right now, well, hey, 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 Pastor, Pastor Mike, what are you saying? Do you know that there's a remedy for every sin in your life? Christ, the promised anointed one, when he was cut off, he made an end to sin. And the second thing is he is establishing everlasting righteousness. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. <laughs> what a beautiful verse this is. God made the one who knew no sin to become sin. Why? So we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Gabriel reveals to Daniel in this vision it's the culmination of God's redemptive plan for mankind that had begun even during the fall. He had already said that I will send from the seed of woman one that will crush the head of the serpent. And it's progressively revealed through the ages. And now, because of this man's penitent prayer before the Lord, because of his obedience and steadfastness, God demonstrates and reveals to him that I'm going to send one who's going to complete the plan that I set in motion so many years ago. You see, ultimately, this story and all the stories in the Old Testament are about Jesus. Is that the longing of your soul this morning, beloved? Does the sin in your life, in the world around you, does it break your heart? Are you weary? Are you longing for the day that God will make things right? I believe there's folks in here this morning that need to hear the Word that the Lord has made an end of sin. Because I believe that there are things in your life. You may be a follower of Christ. And those sins of your past are covered under the blood of Jesus. But you've not forgiven yourself. And listen, church, this is not a self-help seminar. I would never be successful at that. But this is the truth. Your past, the things that are still reminding, you're being reminded of things by the enemy. They cripple you. They prevent you from being and walking in the righteousness that you are. Have you come to a place in your life where you can say, there's nothing I can do about my past. I pray that you come to that place today. I pray that you come to the knowledge before you leave here this morning that the Messiah 
came to make an end to sin once and for all. It's just like that man who wrote that amazing song, It Is Well With My Soul. He said, My sin, the glorious thought, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. Forgive yourself, beloved. Christ has forgiven you. And here's the overarching message. Even though the details are complex, there's the decrees, there's the timing of the events, and I believe, as I've said, they've been purposefully obfuscated. Here's the overarching message, beloved. The Lord, the Lord Himself, has determined the end. It's not just a statement about the conclusion of history, but it's a statement about the purpose of history and its fulfillment. And by the way, the purpose is not to satisfy our curiosity about what is to come. And we all have that, do we not? Even in the Jesus movement, when I came to faith, there was all kinds of books and songs being written about the second coming and, and all of those things. And that was okay. But some of that, I believe, was to satisfy curiosity and maybe that we could escape from the horrors of what it'll be like. Church, we're not promised that. We're not promised that. That's not going to get big applause today. But it's the truth. He didn't do, determine the end to satisfy our curiosity. No, He determined the end to strengthen our faith. So that no matter what comes our way, we can see ourselves through. And we can know that the end is determined already. Amen? This is the message that Daniel receives from Gabriel. This is the message that echoes through the ages to us today. He's saying, Daniel, listen. This will take longer than you expect. It'll be more difficult than you can even imagine. But rest assured, the Lord has a plan. And that plan is to redeem mankind from the wages of sin and death. And I, the Lord, have determined the end. And church, if there's anybody who has a reason to praise the Lord today, it's those who understand the end of sin. Let us pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. It's timeless content. It's truth. Lord, I believe there are those here today that need to apply the truth that You've determined the end, that You've made an end of sin to their lives today. They may know you. They call you by name. You are their Lord. But Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit today, would you remind them that you remember their sin no more? Would you remind them that they are literally the righteousness of God and Christ Jesus? And that they're a new kind of creation. 
would you remind them that you've made an end to all their sin. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.